went over the six woes of Jesus uh, that are pretty intense. Um, it's funny how uh, when I talk about some of those things, the woes of Jesus, I get a little more pushback because once in a while, those woes sort of hit people. Uh, when you call things out that are needing to be you know, corrected and Jesus did it, he got a kind of a rough response from the religious leaders and people. And I shouldn't be surprised, I think, to, to uh, think we get a little pushback from some of those things. But um, one thing we should be really careful about is when Jesus says, whoa, about something, we should say, whoa, whoa, Nelly. You know, whoa, we better stop being a part of that or embracing or endorsing whatever he's woeing. Um, so that's kind of an important thing. But we finished that up and then looking to get into chapter 12, maybe Lord willing, finish this chapter. It's a powerful and um, important chapter. Um, Jesus is both gaining in popularity by this time in the story, but he's also um, making the religious people really mad and they're, wanting, they're already wanting to do him, do him in. And so we see that here and we'll pick it up right there in verse one. It says, in the meantime, when there was, uh, were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So Jesus, uh, Big multitudes are following him. You know, um, it'd be interesting to actually see this. It says, you know, that the, the people were walking all over each other. It's like going to a big concert or something that's got tons of people. And you're realizing that people are being sort of trampled and pushed around. That's it's like a, a big mosh pit up there, you know, with people crowding and shoving and stuff. That's, that's how radical it is. So Jesus is dealing with this. I wonder if this is maybe Jesus uh, responding because of his popularity talking about watch out for that leaven of the Pharisees because um, they were hypocrites. And we talked about that a bit uh, on Sunday because he, he talked about the hypocrisy of these uh, Pharisees. That was one of his woes that he gave. Um, but, um, you know, what's interesting is he starts to um, lean down the numbers by what he's about to say, this chapter. Uh, in fact, the more he gets to talking, I think he's going to lose some disciples on this particular page or page of, of Matthew, or pardon me, Luke chapter 12, we're gonna see people start walking away. We've, uh, we've attempted to do that here at Athey Creek. By speaking truth, sometimes people leave. Uh, and I don't know, I, I just don't know. I have mixed feelings about that. Um, you know, I, I heard uh, from one of our security guys, oh, it was a couple Wednesday nights ago, or last Wednesday, I think it was. Um, uh, we had our service begin and uh, Joey was just leading a few songs and, um, and uh, this group of people, small group walked in and they kind of looked around for a second and then the, the, one guy, the older guy said, um, well, I don't need any of this blank. And then he walked to him and his family turned around and walked out. And I was like, well, I wonder what turned them off. The uh, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, the Christmas trees, maybe he's, uh, uh, maybe, I, I don't, I, like I was thinking, I wonder why he came to a Wednesday night Bible study Maybe he thought at first it was a concert. He's like, I came for a Bible study, but he didn't, you know, give it. But I, there's a part of me that's kind of heartbroken. Boy, I wish that guy would come and maybe hear the gospel if he's not saved. But I almost wonder if there's something else going on there. Maybe he's just a grouchy Christian. If that's the case, then let the door, don't let the door hit you on the way out, bro. Uh, like uh, you need a correction, you know, like I do wonder, is it a person that needs to be saved or is it a person? And we don't really know. So we have to try to, you know, accommodate and try to figure it out. But um, it's interesting. Jesus will offend many by what he's doing and saying. So I guess we shouldn't be, uh, uh, you know, shocked 
when people are offended at some of the things we're teaching and stuff like that. Uh, or if people are offended by the church you attend, don't be shocked by that. Um, but anyway, um, J- you know, Jesus is gonna, um, you know, continue here. When he, when he talks about the hypocrisy of the, of the, the warnings here, um, this is kind of the first of five warnings of this chapter. Uh, in fact, you might divide this chapter into five sections. And the first section is um, beware of hypocrisy. And that's really gonna be verses one through 12. He's gonna warn about the hypocrisy um, of the Pharisees. Now, if you recall on Sunday, we talked about the word hypocrites, which is the, um, uh, or hypocrisis, uh, depends on which one you're talking about, but it's really the same thing. It's, it's an acting of a stage player, acting under a feigned part, dissimulation, deceit. I'm giving you actually a different Greek dictionary definition um, because there's different Greek dictionaries. Webster's is one of ours or, you know, the other versions. It's kind of fun to see what the different Greek dictionaries say, but this one kind of gives us more of that play acting, sort of fake, phony sort of idea. And the, the you know, the Webster's on the hip, uh, on hip, hypocrite is the practice of professing beliefs, feelings, or virtues that one does not hold or possess. Um, uh, falseness is another uh, idea there. So Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Some of you are like, what are we talking about? Baking bread or sin? Um, the leaven, leaven is always a type of sin in the Bible. It's funny how leaven, what does leaven make the bread or the dough do? Rise, it gets puffed up. Um, isn't that funny that the Pharisees were puffed up with pride? Beware of the leaven. But leaven uh, is an interesting Greek word, just not to over Greek word out. I don't want to geek out with Greek. But um, leaven uh, is, is interesting. Zume is the Greek word, yeast. And the metaphor is, um, you know, moral corruption or sin is the idea there. Um, we know this for certain because, um, you know, the Bible tells us clearly and very overtly that leaven is a type of sin. One of the scriptures you might jot down here is 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. It says, your glorying is not good. Uh, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, um, that you may be a new lump, um, as you are unleavened for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So this idea of leaven, purge out the old leaven, purge out the sinful you know, nature, the sinful stuff that's within us and in our lives. The Bible's clear on this one. So leaven's a picture of sin, malice, wickedness, the opposite of sincerity and truth, this scripture tells us. Um, so the, the Pharisees, these guys are professional hypocrites, as it turns out. That's kind of what they are. That's, that's Jesus is saying, definition of hypocrite is the Pharisees. Um, and Jesus's argument, hypocrisy doesn't make sense. Um, everything that's hidden, that's, uh, that's wrong and ugly, that's hidden, it's going to be revealed. He's gonna make this argument that it's gonna be all seen. It's all gonna come out in the wash. Something for us to remember, you know, in our lives, the things we think are hidden and not known will be known. That's kind of an interesting thing to think about. If you're holding secrets right now, thinking nobody's gonna know, someday they will. Um, that's kind of an interesting thing. There is an exception that might take place there we'll talk about it in a second. But, you know, do you ever wonder, like, um, if you're, you know, living a life thinking, man, when am I going to be found out? 
When are they going to find out who I really am? Uh, maybe you went on on a date, you know, and you've been acting like a real gentleman. Uh, and she thinks you are. But how long can you pull that off before she really finds out? Um, you know, like, like it's funny, the human nature. Um, maybe you remember uh, just even recently, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried is found guilty of seven counts of fraud and conspiracy. Um, but, you know, it, it, you know, the people that liked him just a year ago, he was worth $20 billion and was hailed as the rare good guy uh, in the freewheeling crypto industry. His face was plastered on billboards and magazine covers and professional athletes and you know, Hollywood stars were endorsing him. But, you know, you wonder, how long did this dude know, uh, you know, you know uh, that he, it was only a matter of time where he would be found out? Um, you know, uh, he was charged with stealing as much as $10 billion uh, from con- uh, customers to basically finance his pro- political contributions. Um, it's interesting, um, you know, he, uh, you know he, he, he was the second biggest donor um, to Democrats, interestingly enough, uh, only behind George Soros. George Soros was number one. Uh, this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, was, was number two. Um, that's just kind of interesting. But he was fraudulently living a life of luxury. And, and, um, but I wonder if he had that dark cloud over his head thinking, um, you know, maybe I'm going to get caught. It was a dark cloud over his head. Or maybe it was Afro. I don't know. But either way, it was... Um, <laughs> Um, you know, Hebrews 4.13 says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest or made known in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Psalm 90 verse eight, thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. So that's the bad news. The bad news is, man, if you think you're pulling it off and covering up your sins, you know, Numbers uh, uh, 32, 23, be sure of this, your sins will find you out. It's gonna, it's gonna happen. So that's the bad news. Um, and if you're thinking you're pulling it off and unrepentant, but you're still trying to hide your sins, they will be found out. But the good news is that if you repent of those sins um, and the hypocrisy, the Lord will forgive and the Lord remembers our sins no more. Hebrews 8, 12, for I will be merciful unto their righteousness, unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. This makes me really glad, by the way. This makes me glad because as Christians, who, if you've been repentant, and you're saying, man, I wanna live for the Lord. And, and as soon as you recognize sin in your life and you repent and confess, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you don't have to live with a dark cloud of guilt over you, but you're forgiven. And you walk in his goodness and his mercy that endures forever. Um, so this is something that's really important. You can either live with a dark cloud of hypocrisy, you know, play acting like you're a good person, or you can say, I'm going to recognize that I'm a bad person and I'm going to repent of those sins and I'm going to let the Lord uh, wash me clean. So that's kind of the, the challenge before us here. Um, you know, the, the problem is hypocrisy. Um, and now for its causes and cures, Jesus is going to give for us the causes and cures. Um, we pick that up um, he says in, uh, you know, second part of verse one, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Verse two, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, 
Whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which you have spoken in the ear uh, in closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. So there it is. Jesus is saying, you know, it's all gonna be seen. It's all gonna come out in the wash. People are gonna see it. You're gonna be revealed in due time, just like we were talking about. Now it says in verse four, and I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast you into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. <laughs> wow. One of the causes of hypocrisy, I think, that Jesus is identifying here is this idea of fear. He mentions fear like four times right here, you know. And there's, there's a, a, a fear, you know, um, that is linked to, well, what you call the fear of man. Um, and you want to be seen of men and thought well of by men. And you put on a show. We're afraid of what other people might think of us if we're not really good at putting up a good appearance. Um, and so we put up a show. That's hypocrisy. Uh, there's people that, uh, this is one of the great problems, I think, in the church of Jesus Christ is we tend to show up and we want to have sort of a polished ex exterior. Like, you know, we're really dialed in and we're really holy Christians and we've got it all figured out. Um, and if we do that and are, aren't really honest, recognize that we're all a bunch of sinners, then it, it, it sort of, I think, snowballs. And everybody thinks, well, I have to act like I'm really holy and together because these people are all holy and together. So, so we, we start making the church a stage of hypocrisy for play acting, where really we just need to acknowledge we're all sinners and we all, um, uh, none of us are, you know, better than anybody else. We're all just uh, sinners saved by God's grace through faith. And to, to keep that humility, well, Brett, we're saved by grace and the Lord has delivered us from sin. Well, this is where people kind of forget. Paul the apostle, even as an old man said, I, Paul, am the chiefest of sinners. Was he getting worse at sin when he was getting older? I think technically I'm gonna say no. On a sin you know, spectrum, I, I think Paul the apostle was getting it more dialed in, but even he recognized in his best in his best years of older age, he was like, I am the chiefest of sinners. And Paul would say, I do the things I don't wanna do, but bread, he was saved, regenerated. He should not want, have the desire to sin. Oh, Paul says, I, don't, I do the things I don't wanna do and I don't do the things I do wanna do. It's just the human condition. So don't forget, yes, we've been delivered from sin. Jesus died once for all sin. And that's the glorious truth. But you and I are gonna be a wrestling with sin to the day we die. Um, and if you think you've got it all conquered, be careful because while you think you're standing, you're gonna fall. That's gonna be a guarantee. And you're gonna be really disappointed with yourself because you'll find yourself making mistakes over and over again. Now, one of the mistakes people make is they think sin is murder and adultery, which it is. But it's also thinking ill of someone as you're walking down the street. It's also having a bad attitude. It's also exceeding the speed of 55 miles an hour. It's also, I'm walking into church saying, well, I don't know if I like those poinsettias. It's also like, <laughs> like just, being, just being unnecessarily critical or judgmental of people or like, it's amazing. I think we're gonna be blown away, which counts in the sin category when we get to heaven. And we're gonna see all that. If you're a Christian who's repentant, the Lord's gonna say, man, I'm just gonna dump, there's a huge, huge load that I had to dump on your, on your behalf. Thank the Lord for that. Uh, but for the person who's unrepentant, I think they're gonna be shocked at the amount of sin, the things the Bible categorizes as sin. It's just barely missing the target. 
the, the bullseye. Anything that's off the bullseye, according to the Bible, that's, that's called sin. It's not just murder and adultery. It's anything that's just slightly off course of what God's will is. Um, that's, that's the idea of what sin is. So this idea, these Pharisees kind of had, Jesus is saying that's the fear of man. It's fear. Don't worry about what people can do to you. Be thinking about what God is able to do to you and um, fear that. That's the idea. Um, you know, uh, Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Um, the fear of man is dangerous uh, and the fear of the Lord is healthy and safe uh, and putting your trust in the Lord. Um, the word snare here is, is an interesting word. Um, it means um, hook in the nose. It's like the Assyrians. Um, that's the... the, the um, the Hebrew word here is mokesh, which means bait, lure, no, uh, noose, or a hook in the nose. That's the idea, the Assyrians dragging away their captives with hooks in the noses. That's the word here. So the fear of man is a hook in the nose to, to be thinking that, oh man, I gotta worry about what so-and-so thinks of me at work or that person at school that thinks of me this way or that way, or what are they gonna think of me? And you know what's even more interesting? A, a lot of us spend a lot of time worrying about what other people are gonna think about us. And we're shocked when we realize people don't think about us at all. I wonder how much time we spend thinking about what other people are gonna think about us when nobody thinks about you. I think we're gonna be, that's another thing in heaven. You're like, man, why did I waste so much time thinking about what everybody's gonna think about me when they're not thinking about you at all? But the Lord, his thoughts are precious thoughts towards you and he's thinking about you all the time. They're more than even the sands on the sea, how many times the Lord thinks thoughts towards you. Um, so um, this is an important thing. You know, the fear of man, hypocrisy. Um, play acting, to be perceived by humans as being better than you really are. Um, that's a snare and, um, and you gotta be careful about that. Um, you know, contrary, God says he does care about what we think of him and we should care about what he thinks of us. How much time do you spend thinking, I wonder what God thinks about what I'm doing right now or what I'm about to do? Or I wonder what God thinks about what I'm doing with the time I'm spending today. Because that's, that's the thing we probably should be thinking about. What does the Lord think? Um, but, um, but this is that hypocrisy that Jesus is calling out here. Um, and it says there and continues in verse six. It says, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, why does Jesus go into this thing about the Lord thinking for you, about you? you know, God is righteous and he cares about you. That's the thing we're talking about. Why would we care as much about what other people think, the living in the fear of man, being afraid all the time, verses four and five, when really the Lord is the one that cares for us. And, and if the sparrows aren't running around, flying around being worried, why should we? Um, the, Lord, the Lord doesn't forget a sparrow and if the Lord doesn't forget a sparrow, he doesn't forget us either. God is, is righteous, but he's also loving and caring. He has an intimate knowledge of you, even how many hairs are on the top of your head. Some of us are easier to count than others. Um, but, uh, but praise the Lord, he knows, he knows everything about you. Um, so the cause of hypocrisy here is the fear of man. Um, and now the cure, verse eight. It says, also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the son of man also confess before the angels of God. 
But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you into the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers that uh, uh, and powers take you take you no thought of how or what thing you shall answer or what you shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. Wow! So the first thing Jesus says here, I, I think the operative word is confess. He says, confess, the true way of salvation. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, Romans 8 or 10, uh, 10 9. Uh, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, um, that, and believe in, uh, that he was raised up from the dead, you will be saved. So um, confession is where real salvation is found, but, but also confessing your sins and being open before the Lord, just saying, this is who I am. I admit it, I acknowledge it, confession. Confession is so healthy. I hope you're quick to confess your sins. The Bible actually says, confess your sins to the Lord, but it also tells us to confess our sins one to another. This is where I think the Catholics got the idea of a confessional booth and confessing your sins, confessional, um, which I think they took it into kind of a little bit of a strange direction, but I think the Protestants threw the baby out with the bathwater on the idea of confession. Confessing our sins one to another is actually really helpful and healthy. Um, and do you have someone that you know that, that you can talk to, you know, or a pastor or a counselor or someone you can actually confess, here's the things I struggle with and just be honest uh, before the Lord and before uh, um, someone else. Um, so he says, uh, you know, uh, I say to you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the son of man also confess before the angels of God. Do you think it matters that God confesses you before the angels? I think it matters. Otherwise Jesus wouldn't be talking about it. But other scriptures also kind of indicate it's not just the angels, it's also you know, before the Father, which is in heaven, which is uh, important to understand. I want Jesus to confess before the Father, this is my son, this is, my, um, you know, this is someone who has confessed me before man, so I'm gonna confess these people before the Father. That's kind of the goal there. Um, you know, uh, are you someone who confesses before men, Jesus? I always like to kind of think, you know, if, if uh, like in some of those eras and times and places around the world where it's illegal to be a Christian, um, you know, what would happen if that suddenly, if, what would happen if America just suddenly passed a law that said being a Christian is illegal? And if they were able to send their committees and their FBI raid your house, would they find any evidence to prosecute you as a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ? Um, I'm probably talking to the wrong crowd. They'd probably all convict you for going to Wednesday night Bible study, um, <laughs> especially at this church. Um, but, um, but that's something to kind of think about. Uh, you know, my hope is that there's plenty of evidence in my life and yours as a Christian that would people just say, yeah, of course they are a Christian. Guilty as charged. And hopefully there's a lot of evidence. Um, uh, what about at school? You, you know, you that are students, are, are your friends at school or people around school, teachers in your school, are they aware? Would there be evidence to convict you as a Christian? Or are you just kind of laying low and being afraid to confess Christ before man? Um, that's something to think about because Jesus says, he says, man, um, confess me before men, him shall the son of man also confess before the angels. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied. This is something that we have to be aware of um, before the angels of God. Um, 
Now, then there's this whole thing about verse 10. Whosoever shall speak a word against the son of man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Um, this is that idea of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Um, we did a more in-depth discussion on this in Matthew 12, 31, um, a deeper dive, if you would. But um, this, is a, this is sort of a tricky one. And I've noticed people get all up in a tizzy about this, um, but I think it's a, it's a little bit of a understanding that maybe is lacking on what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit um, and what does it all mean? Um, some people just say blasphemy. You know, like when grandma used to say, you're speaking blasphemy. Uh, uh, what does that mean? Um, and there is that idea of speaking words of blasphemy. Um, but the words blaspheming or blasphemeth, um, verse 10, uh, it means to speak against is the idea. But what does it mean to speak against the Holy Ghost? And why is it forgivable to speak against Jesus? Now, um, some people say, well, if you attribute Jesus's power and his miracles that he's doing right now, to uh, demons, then you've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I wouldn't disagree with that. Here's the problem, if that's your only sort of way of defining it, what is the unpardonable sin then for today? Because Jesus, we don't, we don't have miracles that we see Jesus living, doing right here on this earth where we say that's from the work of Satan. Um, so that means the blasphemy, if that's your definition, that means the, the idea of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit doesn't really even exist anymore because Jesus isn't, physically on earth in mortal body, you know, like he was. So there's people that kind of make a case that way, but, but really you have to do a little bit of reading of scripture. What is the work of the Holy Spirit and what does it mean to speak against the work of the Holy Spirit? Um, and this is where people, I think, maybe make a mistake when they're trying to understand. So the unpardonable sin today is a state of continued unbelief. Um, where you reject Jesus. Well, what does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? The Spirit currently, according to Jesus, um, John 16, 8, um, is convicting the unsaved world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's one of the main works of the Holy Spirit today. Uh, the Holy Spirit is alive and well. Jesus said, it's good that I'm leaving you. Why? Because I'm gonna send a comforter and the Holy Spirit is coming after me to do what? Uh, you know, John 16, eight, to convict the world of sin, um, of, of, of righteousness and judgment. To resist that conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's, uh, remember the Holy Spirit is with you. I talked about that last week. This is the work that the Spirit is doing. He's convicting you of sin and your need for salvation. Um, to resist that conviction and willfully, willfully remain unrepentant, unbelieving um, is to blaspheme, speak against the Holy Spirit. That's, that's kind of a longer description. You know, um, there is no pardon, neither um, in this age or in the age to come for a person who rejects the Spirit's promptings uh, to trust in Jesus Christ and then dies in unbelief. If you die in unbelief, then you will have committed uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, well, what if a person says, I reject the work of the Holy Spirit now and then on their deathbed, repent? then they have not committed the bad blast because it has to be a continued state of unbelief to death that gets you to where you've committed that sin. Um, so, um, you know, I love that it's so, it's so simple really to, to accept the work, the work of the spirit is really to accept Christ. You know, that um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, 
but have everlasting life. Once you do that, you're no longer guilty of committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So the choice is clear. Whoever believes in the, the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, uh, for God's wrath remains on him. John 3, 36 says, now there's a bunch of questions that arise um, about what the blasphemy, what if a person um, you know, commits suicide? Is suicide the unpardonable sin? There's some groups that say yes, uh, because there's no way to repent from that sin. See, there's some people that believe, boy, when you die, you better make sure and have all your sins covered because if you, if you commit suicide, that'd be the last sinful act and you don't have a chance to go and take communion at church after that. So that's the unpardonable sin. Wrong, totally wrong. Um, how many times did Jesus die for the sins of the world? Once, he paid the price once for all, Hebrews tells us. So even a person, let's say a person who's a Christian accepts Jesus Christ as their savior, but gets into a place mentally ill, mental illness. In fact, I think suicide has a lot to do with mental illness or a lot, a lot to do with drugs, whether they're uh, prescribed or not. Um, you know, for a person to get to a place where they can take their own life, you'll notice it takes either mental illness really or um, medicine that is uh, bad and, and not, not helping. Um, and I'm not saying this just off the cuff. Uh, you, there's a lot of reading, a lot of studies, and it's shocking. If you study what's happening with suicide in our country today, um, it, it's, it's shocking. And by the way, if you are someone who, uh, you know, struggle with those types of thoughts of self-harm or suicide, you know, um, you, you, gotta, you gotta choose life. The Bible gives you, you can choose death or life. And, and if you choose life, guess who's gonna be there for you? The Lord is always faithful. And you gotta, you gotta um, push away that and then seek help. Seek help from, a, you know, from, from church. The church will be there to comfort you and help you and meet with you um, or get you the help that you need, but seek out help. That's the main thing. Um, well, bro, you just told me if I kill myself, it's not the unpardonable sin. Um, you're giving license to tell people they can go commit suicide. Definitely not doing that either. Um, no, I'm telling you that it's one of the most horrible sins and it's hurtful to everyone. And, um, and it's, it's, uh, it's not the choice, but God uh, loves you and wants more for your life. And it's not yours for the taking. Um, it's there for God to do a work in your life. And, and by the way, this life can be really rough and get really brutal, um, but the Lord would ask us to endure. He who endures to the end. This is what the Lord would have you to do. Um, so suicide is a horrible sin. Um, uh, but it is not the unpardonable sin. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the unpardonable sin. When you die in unbelief, rejecting the work of the Spirit. Um, by the way, suicide uh, in the Bible is, there's some bad, bad, they're all bad actors. They're really bad people. Judas Iscariot, Abimelech, Ahithophel, Saul uh, arguably committed suicide. Um, and he was also mentally ill or demon-possessed. Uh, if you know the end of Saul's life. Um, so you don't really wanna be in that crowd. Um, you know, the only sin that's unforgivable is fully rejecting Jesus, dying in unbelief, um, which is the, the speaking against what the Holy Spirit is trying to convince you and me of. Well, like I said, deeper dive in Matthew chapter 12. But um, that's what he's saying there in verse 10. He's talking about that. And then verse 11 and 12, when it says, you know, when you go into the synagogues um, and the powers that be, don't worry about how or what you're gonna answer or what you're gonna say. Why? Because the Holy Ghost, I love this, um, shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. 
for, for some of you, you might put in verse 11, instead of the synagogues and the magistrates, you might say the schools and the teachers or the professors. Um, don't worry about what you're gonna say to those people that are speaking blasphemous words and, and horrible things, um, but, but be open to and ask for the filling of the spirit that the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Isn't it fun as a Christian? I don't know how many of you guys have experienced this, but where you realize that what you're doing and, and what you're saying is somehow beyond yourself. There's a really great moment in Christianity when you're just in a situation where you're like, what am I gonna say? I don't even know the answer to this. And then you just start kind of speaking and the Lord just gives you the words to say. I don't know how else to say it, but that's the way it works. And how many of you guys have actually felt that in your life before? See, look at that. I'd say that's over half, over half of you. That, that's really, really cool. Um, if you haven't had that happen, pray that the spirit will speak through you. Um, it's, it's an okay prayer. Uh, because it says here, Jesus said, you know, um, when, they, when they bring you in front of those powers that be, the Holy Ghost will teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. Um, the, the word same hour doesn't mean within 60 minutes, he'll tell you. Um, the idea is that very same moment is the idea. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. Um, and uh, if you know you're going into the lion's den, uh, some place full of controversy, um, ask for a fresh filling of the Spirit and uh, the Lord will speak through you. Um, by the way, um, I already mentioned John chapter 16, John chapter 14 of Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin, but there's a lot of other things the Holy Spirit will do. Um, John 14, 26, jot that one down. Um, talks about the, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Um, he'll teach you all things and bring to remembrance whatsoever things I have said to you. Do you ever wonder about like, man, Brad, I go through Wednesday night and I like going through the passages, but I'm afraid I'm not gonna remember all this stuff. I remember feeling that way when I was um, first going through the Bible as a young kid with my pastor, thinking, man, there's no way I'm gonna remember all this stuff. Um, but it's funny how as you live your life, the Holy Spirit does remind you of the things that you've learned already when you, when you need it. And then also with time, the Lord just kind of helps you improve the memory of where things are and what the Bible's saying. And then he helps connect the dots, which makes the Bible come to life. So don't be discouraged. If you're new to the Bible, you're like, Brad, this all the stuff, man, you're talking about. Like um, once in a while, I'll be talking about something that's maybe up there a little bit like where you kind of need to know some of the other parts of the Bible a little better to understand what in the world I'm talking about. If that bugs you and you're like, Brad, I, I don't have a clue. You're talking about the 70 weeks of Daniel. What in the world are you talking about? Um, don't worry. Uh, the Lord, will, he'll connect the dots in time. And I, I think we can just put our trust in that. John 16, 13 says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak of himself. That's interesting. The Holy Spirit will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear and the things that uh, he shall speak and he will show you things to come. This is all what the Holy Spirit does. Read John 14, John 16, great chapters telling us what the work of the spirit is. Well, so the first section here, verses one through 12, is beware of hypocrisy. The second section is beware of covetousness, verses 13 through 21. Now, the word covetous could also be in this context. I'll show you what I mean here, but uh, the word is greed also. Some of your newer translations say greediness or beware of being greedy. Um, same thing, covetous or greedy. It's the, the kind of the same Greek word there that is used. But we start in verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Boy, isn't it funny? People haven't changed that much in 2,000 years. 
Um, if you only knew how many times Athey Creek pastoral staff has to deal with this topic, inheritance, it, it makes me feel, um, and I'm sorry to my children, my kids and stuff, but it makes me not wanna give any inheritance to anybody for any reason. I've just seen too many lives ruined and people blown up and family members angry. And um, you know, it, it's, I, even in really good families, like families that I thought, oh, they'll be solid. Cause see, I'm the pastor often, you know, over the years who's been a part of the funeral. And, and then once you get into some of the funeral details, it always comes out, the brothers hanging on to this and the sister wants that. And you know, and they're, and, and they're just angry. And at a time when they should be coming alongside of each other through uh, suffering and heartache, they're battling it out over stupid things like money. I've seen people disown family members for like $20,000. Well, press $20,000 is a lot of money. Can I just tell you? It's not. Um, your relationship with your brother or sister is worth more than $20,000 by any stretch of the imagination. In this culture, $20,000 comes and goes very quickly. Um, you say, well, Brett, that's a lot of money. Well, in the, in the grand scheme of heaven, no, it's not. And uh, yeah, people get all up in a tizzy for reasons they shouldn't. But I just think it's amazing. Here's Jesus being sort of bothered with the same, uh, the same sort of nonsense. Well, bro, you shouldn't act like it's nonsense. Well, you tell me how Jesus handles this. Verse 14, and he said unto him, man, who made me a judge over uh, or a divider over you? <laughs> well, I think that's funny. I, I think I should say that. I'm just being like Jesus. Pastor Brett, tell him to give me my note. Who made me the executor of the will? Um, uh, now, I, I have never said that, um, and I'm not an executor. I would never be that for someone in a church situation. Um, but I would uh, say, man, I'm probably not the one you wanna talk to about this. But notice what Jesus says here um, in verse 15. And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Oh, this is a tough one to really learn. It's so easy to say and it rolls right off the tongue, but it's a harder thing to actually engage in and, and act out. Beware of greediness and covetousness. Um, you know, I, I said a few weeks, uh, maybe it's a few months ago now, I was talking about something, uh, you know, as we were going through the Bible and I just suggested forgiving debts, literally forgiving debts. Um, you know, people that owe you money and you've been kind of holding saying, you, you know, and they're, they're very flaky and they're not paying you back even though they rightfully owe you money. And, um, and I gave the suggestion um, to uh, pray about just forgiving their debt. And I, I said, but you'll, you know, you, you, but Brad, I can't let them off the hook. They owe me money. And, and I, said, I said, try letting go. And you'll see that that money had more grip on you than it did on the person that owes you money. And I've received several letters in the past few months from whatever I said that, and we're was talking about that, and it was really from the word, um, of people saying, I had no idea how much that debt was driving me nuts. And the moment they let it go and just forgave that debt, and even, even they, they even said, Brad, I just think the Lord will deal with them and their guilt of not paying their bill or whatever. But as soon as those and, and then people also say, and man, I don't even miss the money. Like, but Brett, it's a lot of money. Uh, try this. You know, you can't outgive the Lord. And being forgiving, we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, boy, I hope the Lord doesn't forgive us our debts the way we forgive our debtors. Because we often hold grudges and hold them to it. But, um, but this is something you should try. I wonder if some of you are still tied down by people that owe you. 
Um, and because, you know, and, and you can say it's because, well, they need to learn the lesson. If they made the commitment to pay me, they need to learn to pay their debts. Yeah, that's probably true, but maybe, you know, that, that lesson's up between them and the Lord. But what you need to be careful is be careful of covetousness, greediness, and wanting your money. Uh, and that's a bad look right there. Uh, it's better to, you know, be considered foolish and just, and just let, let the debt go than have that, that greedy part of the heart uh, bubbling under the surface. Uh, man, uh, you know, Jesus says something profound here. A man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. A lot of us think, you know, by how much we have, that makes us sort of a, a person of substance or noteworthy. Um, but Jesus kind of implies here, yeah, that's not true. So beware of covetousness. Um, verses 13 through 50 is what we covered so far. Um, by the way, um, this idea of greediness and covetousness, one of the things that if you're studying, if you know the economy and what's going on right now in the world, one of the things, um, you know, uh, that's happening right now is people are spending like there's no tomorrow right now. And ec uh, ec economists are sort of confounded. They, they don't know what to do with it because they're not sure where everybody's getting their money to spend. But they believe a lot of it, of course, is credit, credit card debt. And some of it might be some of the, the financial reimbursement of the government during the COVID thing, some of that. Um, some of it might be uh, people dipping into their savings. But when the economists are trying to figure it out, they're, they're, they feel like there's, a, there's gonna be an end to this at some point soon. In fact, this was an AP News article just um, end of October. U.S. consumers keep spending despite high prices and their own gloomy outlook. Can it last? Economists caution that such vigorous spending isn't likely to continue in the coming months. Many households have been pulling money from shrinking pools of savings. Others have been turning to credit cards and the additional and the additional savings that tens of millions of households amassed during the pandemic um, from the stimulus aid and reduced opportunities to travel, dine out, visit, uh, visit entertainment venues are nearly depleted. Um, so, so the economists are saying, everybody needs to kind of slow down on all the stuff you want and that you're gonna buy. And this Christmas, you know, buying all the presents and stuff. They're, they're kind of wondering about that, we'll see. But how do you and I as Christians fix the idea of greediness or covetousness. How do we fix that problem? Well, that's where verse 16 uh, comes into play. Um, here, let's read verse 16. It says, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say unto my soul, soul, <laughs> thou hast much goods and laid up for thy many years, for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Interesting, the context of this, remember, is the dude that came up and said, hey, tell my brother to get, divide the inheritance with me. So now Jesus says, yeah, um, I'm not your executor, so anyway. And then Jesus tells this parable about, about the guy who was gonna leave the inheritance for the kids. But it, interesting, he, he doesn't even really put it in the context of the kids receiving the inheritance. He, he puts it in the context of the dude that's got all the money and says, 
fool. You've just built up bigger barns uh, only so you can die and have a bunch of stuff that's, you're, you're not gonna, you're not even gonna be, when you die, you're not gonna be rich with money. But the bigger question is, are you gonna be rich toward God? This is a phrase in the Bible that I have marked with bright yellow line and this rich toward God, because that's something the Bible talks about more than once. Many times it actually talks about, you know, don't lay up yourself treasure on this earth where moth and rust and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. How are you doing with your investment in eternity in heaven versus your investments here on this earth? I've noticed people get all up in a tizzy about their retirement and their future. And I understand we're supposed to be responsible, but at the same time, there's a point where you're building up just bigger barns for yourself, only for you to kick the bucket and then leave your kids in inheritance, which is gonna wipe out your family anyway, which you think it's gonna be great, but it's not. I always like those RVs, you know, the big fancy RVs driving down the road. We're spending our children's inheritance. I always think, good for you. It's probably the wisest thing you could ever do. Um, <laughs> but, um, but this idea of building bigger barns only to kick the bucket and then have your, you know, then the question is, you're standing before God. Um, so this idea of rich toward God, that should be our goal, rich in eternity. Um, the church of Jesus Christ in the 80s during the televangelists and all that, and even today, there's still churches and you know big churches that have big followings saying, you need to become wealthy. Uh, that Christianity is, uh, is sort of equivalent with, if you're a faithful Christian, God wants to bless your socks off and you know, uh, name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it, um, you know, is, is sort of the mantra of the, of the prosperity gospel. Um, and, and the question is, is having material possessions wrong? No. Is being rich and wealthy wrong? No, the Bible doesn't talk about that. It just says the dangers of being wealthy and rich are very high. Um, and, you know, Paul told Timothy, warn them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, you know, prideful. Um, and also, to, you know, this idea of laying treasures up on this earth, it's only gonna wipe you out. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of the Revelation chapter um, uh, three, verse 17, where it says this, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The church of Laodicea reminds me of the church of America. We're a wealthy church. We think, look at us, we're doing really good. And the Lord says, mm, yeah, but you're, you're actually wretched, miserable, and poor and blind and naked. Um, we might be rich financially, but are we rich toward God? That's the biggest question of the day. Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19 through 20, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. So you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead of you. You can invest in eternity, your heavenly bank account. You know, um, you know it's, it'd be interesting to kind of wonder personally, just you personally, do you have much savings in heaven right now um, in your heavenly bank account? You might be shocked um, how in eternity, the things you're doing to invest in heaven are gonna really pay off in the, for the rest of you, all of eternity. Your investments in this life, it's only gonna last for however long you last, which life is but a vapor. So, you know, this investment here on this earth is so much less important than what you're investing in, in eternity in heaven. Um, and uh, wouldn't you rather have a better investment in eternity than you do here on this earth? Um, so how do you do that? 
Um, uh, how do you um, keep yourself from greed and what have you? Well, Jesus says, um, you, you gotta be rich toward God. Don't just build up your barns here, but consider that which is eternal is the idea. I think eternal investment goes with time, resources, giving, um, generosity, uh, caring for others, prayer, reading the word. There's, there's so much that's more of an uh, eternal investment the spiritual things that are that are make you rich toward God. Um, it's not even really as much of a financial piece. I think the finances are part of that discussion, how you use your financial resources um, to further the kingdom. And there is a way to use finances to um, invest in heaven. But I, I also think there's equally on maybe the same plane, things like loving, caring, helping the poor, um, preaching the gospel, um, these are things that are sending your investment in heaven. So anyway, beware of covetousness, verses 13 through 21. And that brings us to the third section, beware of worrying, um, uh, in verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, take, uh, take, pardon me, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body and what you shall put on. Um, the word take no thought, the word thought, the Greek word there can be translated anxiety or worry. Don't worry um, about what you're gonna wear, what you're gonna eat, um, um, what you're gonna put on for clothes. Uh, the, these are the things Jesus says, don't worry about this. I wonder how many people worry about those things. Well, Brett, obviously you don't worry about that. Um, well, yeah, that's true. But some of us here at Athey Creek, uh, we have to be careful um, not to be too worried about that. Um, I do care about, I worry about what I'm gonna eat sometimes. So I'll admit that, but not as much about what I'm gonna wear. So we all have our things, right? But, um, but it's almost like Jesus is gonna say, you know, even bird brain people understand this. Check this out, bird brains, what do you mean? Verse 23, the life is more than meat. The body is more than raiment or clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are you better than fowls? Um, it's interesting that Jesus is constantly seen comparing, you know, if God cares about birds and takes care of them, how much is he gonna take better care of you? He, he cares about you. Um, and, um, you know, he says, even the birds know that God's gonna take care of them. So they don't even have barns. He just said, that, he told the parable about the guy with all the barns, but he's saying, look at the ravens don't even have barns and yet they're good to go. They don't have to worry about that. Um, and then he goes to another illustration in verse 25. Um, and which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? You know, how can you grow 18 inches taller? Um, some of you vertically challenged people might say, man, I, I wish I could do that. And well, Jesus is saying, well, how much you can just sit there and go, okay, taller, taller, hey, taller. It doesn't work. If you've tried that, it doesn't work. Jesus is being ridiculous, like purposefully. Uh, it's ridiculous. You can't, by sitting around worrying, add an inch to your stature or 18 inches is the cubit. Um, so, you know, some, sometimes I think this is what Jesus is saying. Don't worry about the things that you have no control over. Um, things that are outside of your sphere of influence. How many times do we sit around worrying about things that we really can't control? And what a waste of time to sit around and worry. Um, so ask yourself, is this something I actually have control over? And if it is, then to be a good steward of that thing, that's, that's something we'll talk about more in a bit. 
But if it's something that's outside of your sphere of influence or control, like how tall you are, that's where you just say, Lord, you know all things. Um, I'm gonna leave it to you because uh, you remind me, I can't add an inch to my stature. Um, so forget about that. <clears throat> Don't worry about it. Um, be anxious for nothing, the scriptures tell us. Well, verse 26, if you then um, be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and, on, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Um, this is interesting that Jesus would use the things around him for illustrations. Um, you know, consider the lilies of the field. I wonder if there were lilies out in the field as he was talking there. Um, creation is always a good reminder that the Lord is powerful. In fact, creation itself is gonna be one of the reasons why a person who rejects God commits the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit uh, Romans chapter one says, you'll be without excuse just because of creation alone. Creation itself speaks of his glory. And if you're saying, yeah, whatever, um, that just, that flower came through, you know, evolutionary processes uh, from, you know, the prebiotic goo and soup and all that stuff, the big bang. Um, you're not giving glory to God for something God actually takes care of, the lily of the field. Um, he says, consider how lilies grow. Um, and, uh, and flowers are sort of saying a lot to us today. It's like the flower, the lily of the field saying, um, my, you human beings sure, you know, go around a great deal of trouble to take care of your bodies. You use lotions and essential oils and sprays and ointments and perfumes, <coughs> among other things on your bodies, and you clothe them. And even after all your perfume and dressed up, you cannot compare to a, the beauty of a flower. That's what Jesus is saying. Well, Brad, I don't know if I heard that. Did you hear what he said about Solomon? Even Solomon, like Solomon doesn't even hold a candle. See, and Solomon was the guy who had all the oils and um, kings. He was the richest of all kings. He had fancy clothes. But even when he got all gussied up, Solomon himself, it didn't compare to the lily of the field. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. What a message. I think some of us maybe need to depend on God a little more than all of our toiling for our health and our beauty and our looks and all of our stuff and to say, Lord, you know, you're the one. I'm not gonna toil or be anxious. Are you anxious about your wrinkles? I'm talking probably to one half of the congregation here. I'm not gonna explain which other half. I've never had a dude come up to me and talk, oh, Brett, man, I'm just, I'm starting to look wrinkly, man. <laughs> yeah, bro, I was noticing that. Um, here's some Noxema for you. Um, like this is something us dudes just don't sit around talking about. But, um, you know, this is something that I, I do feel bad because I think there's so many people in this world that are, that are so worried about what they're gonna look like and, and, and they, they, they'll do kind of, I think sometimes, interestingly, bad things to try to help themselves. And, and here the Lord's saying, don't, don't worry about it, the lilies of the field. Um, by the way, I gotta say, um, and I'm not gonna try to speak for all men here, but um, one thing I do know from a lot of dudes and people and stuff, is I think that uh, our culture has made ourselves into weirdness. We, we become these weirdos. Um, I think a lot of men see the wrinkles of their wife as a badge of honor, as a mark of glory. Um, and I know that that's something that 
women would say, no, 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 I've got a battle against that. Uh, toil, 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 you know, and, and you know, get all this stuff to make myself look better and shoot this and get that surgery and all that. And, and pretty soon um, you kind of look like somebody took some cellophane and put it across your face. <laughs> it doesn't look great. It's not a great look. But those wrinkles that you're getting, man, that, that, that means you're, you've, you've done some stuff in life. And, you know, why is it that wrinkles are okay on men and not okay on women? I think that's a cultural thing. Um, although I kind of see it biblically as just a, the way the Lord ordained it. And uh, I think we shouldn't worry about our wrinkles as much. Uh, I just, I know that, uh, that you might say, that's off topic. Nope, it's not. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's right here. Jesus said, don't think about all this stuff, you know. Um, and so many people do. That's the problem. Well, what a message. So there in verse 28, you know, he says, um, if God closed the, closed the grass, makes it look pretty. Um, and then, you know, it's cast into the oven. How much more will he clothe you? Oh, ye of little faith. The Lord's going to take care of you. He says in verse 29, and seek not ye what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither what, uh, be doubtful of mind. For all these things do after, uh, do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knoweth that ye have need of these things. So, um, you know, don't worry about it. The Lord knows what we need. We can put our trust in the Lord. Does this mean laziness and sitting around doing nothing? Well, there's other scriptures says, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. So there is a responsibility, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about worry. We shouldn't worry about these things, what we're gonna eat, what we're gonna wear, how we're gonna look. Even the lily of the field just kind of is there and the Lord makes it beautiful in his time. Uh, so verse 31, um, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither doth moth corrupt. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In God's stock market, he's saying, sell, sell, does that sell that what you have? Get, get, get rid of it. Sell those things that, um, that you know, uh, possess you, your possessions that possess you. Sell, get rid of it. Don't worry about it. Seek first the things of the kingdom. Brett, this sounds like the Sermon on the Mount. Is it? Is this Luke's version of Sermon on the Mount? Some of you might be asking that. The answer is probably not. Um, could it be Luke pulling from the Sermon on the Mount? Could be. Could it be Jesus saying similar things at different times? Possibly. We do know Jesus would say certain types of things more than once on different occasions. So maybe Jesus is sort of reaffirming uh, later because this is a little bit later here in Luke chapter 12 than some of these things that we see parallels in Matthew, uh, you know, in like the Sermon on the Mount. So like, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Sounds a lot like what we just read there um, you know, um, seek, you know, seek the things of the Lord. Seek verse 31, seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Very similar, some of these things. And also where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We studied that in Matthew chapter six, verse 21. Um, so these are similar things. These might just be Luke reiterating stuff. Uh, remember Luke was like, like a little, a step off. He wasn't really necessarily there 
eyewitnessing all this. This was stuff that he was given. So it may uh, be just more of a conglomeration of truth that Jesus spoke. So it's a parallel passage, you might say, to what we read in Matthew 6, but there's debate among scholars um, as um, uh, you know, in, there are in Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, the two big sermons. Uh, some of the gospels might just be seen similar passages in Luke or it's spoken at a different time. I don't worry about that. I love that we have both gospels, Matthew and Luke, to sort of discern both. They don't contradict. They only support and reinforce, which I love that. Well, verse 34, it says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What a truth in life. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going. You're gonna be in love with whatever your treasure is. The more money you put into this or that, you're gonna be in love with that. So be careful what you invest in. Some people invest their whole life into their financial portfolio, and that's where your heart's gonna be. Um, can I just say that people that love their financial portfolio are a bunch of weirdos. Don't be that person. If your investment is only your financial portfolio, um, that, that's gonna be a bad way to live, trust me. That's exactly opposite of what Jesus is talking about here. Where your treasure is, see, this could be a warning of something don't to not do, but it's also a warning of something to do. Um, instead, put your treasure in the Lord and in heaven and eternity, and that's where your heart will be. Do you want your heart in your financial portfolio or do you want your heart into the Lord? It's a principle. If you're into golf and you spend all your money on golf and golf shoes and clubs and the, and the big dollar amount of your club, the place where you go and play and, and you just put all your investment into that, you're gonna be in love with that. Um, and I'm not saying it's bad to play golf, even though it is demonic. Um, no, I'm just, just kidding. I, I'm just not good at golf, so that's why I say that. Uh, you can be into golf. It's just be careful that you're not making your soul investment into something that's really temporary. Um, that's an important thing to watch out for. Um, but, you know, there's good things also, not just the Lord in heaven, but what if, say, for example, you invest your treasure into your, say, husband, uh, wives, and you say, I'm gonna invest my treasure. I'm gonna spend time, energy, effort to um, really pour into his life. Guess what? Your heart will be there also. But I don't love him, Pastor Brett. Try investing treasure in him. Um, you know, that's one of the big goofs couples make in marriage is they say, I've fallen out of love. And I'm just gonna say, falling out of love does not happen. You just didn't invest your treasure into the right thing. Um, you know, I, it, it's sad. You see it like clockwork. The girl that goes down and she says, I love my husband and he loves her. But then she goes down and starts working out at the gym and gets into some real good classes and makes a bunch of friends. And she starts getting into a lot of shape and she feels good about herself, self-esteem. And suddenly she's down there and, she, and she's got guys coming saying, wow, you know, hey, how you doing? You want to go out to coffee or whatever? And, and um, all this stuff, this investment, time, energy, working out, friends. And then she sees her husband for 10 seconds after work and he's grouchy and he just gets home and uh, whatever. And so she just keeps investing in, in those friends and stuff. And then like clockwork, you see it where the woman says, I just don't love him anymore. Uh, I'm going to leave him. And he's like, what happened? Um, Brett, are you suggesting we don't let our wives go work out at the gym? <laughs> I'm not saying that, but I'm going to say, ladies, be real careful. I've seen this way too many times. It's ugly, both in men and women. When, when a husband or a wife starts investing their treasure into something far more than they do their own marriage, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. Congratulations, you did that. Um, and it's not your husband's fault or your wife's fault. Um, it's just a biblical truth. You can name it and claim it if you want to, or you can reject it and say, um, yeah, I, I, I can do as much as I want. Well, that's what your heart's gonna be into and good luck with that. 
Ultimately, however, I think Jesus is saying, invest your treasure in eternity, be rich toward God. That's what we saw there in verse 21. That's what we see here, where your treasure is there, where your heart be also. So beware of worrying and freaking out and anxiety about life. Just trust in the Lord, put your treasure in the Lord and you'll be good to go. That's what the Bible's talking about here. So beware of hypocrisy, verses one through 12. Beware of covetousness or greed, verses 13 through 21. Beware of worrying, verses 22 through 34. Number four, beware of carelessness. And that's verses 35 through 53. It says in verse 35, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. Um, And you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord um, when he will return from the wedding and um, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord when he comes shall find watching. What is, he, what is he saying? What are we supposed to be doing? Does the Bible talk about this a lot? A ton, isn't this amazing? When the Lord's coming, what are we supposed to be doing? Watching, it says it over and over. And sadly, what the, what's the church not doing today? We're not watching. We're all about community service and social gospel of putting bark dust around the schools. And, you know, we should be watching for the return of the Lord. That's one of the main things we're supposed to be doing. Watching, verily I send you that he shall gird himself and make, him, make them to sit down to meet and will come forth to serve them. Um, it says there in verse uh, 36 uh, through 40, um, this whole thing of, um, you know, we don't wanna be careless about Christ's return. Check this out. He says there in verse um, 38, and if he shall uh, come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also for the son of man comes in an hour when you think not. Um, this is so important, uh, you know, um, and, and, um, and by the way, this is, uh, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Um, uh, there's, there's actually four things here in this section. Um, and the first thing is verses 35 and 36, you'll see verse 36, it says that we're to wait. It says there, verse 36, you yourselves liken to men that wait for their Lord. Are you waiting on or waiting for the Lord's return? Um, it looks like this. When you're watching the news and go, man, the world's going crazy. Do you say, man, what's gonna happen? We're, I'm freaking out. I'm gonna build a bunker. Or do you say, wow, look at the world, what's going on? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Um, that's the difference. The person who's waiting for Jesus, we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. We're waiting for him and watching. Uh, this is important. So like unto men that wait on the Lord, but then in verse 37, the second component of this beware of carelessness, um, verse two, uh, or number two, watching, verses 37 through 40. And how many times, verse 37, watching, verily I say unto you. 38, um, you know, if he comes in the second watch or the third watch, what's a second watch and a third watch? These are like when soldiers would be on their duty to watch. Um, that's kind of what we're called to be is like soldiers watching the entry, the gate, we're guards watching. That's the idea there. Verse um, uh, 39 um, you, know, you know, if a guy knows a thief's coming, he's gonna sit around and watch and wait and be also, verse 40, uh, ready, ready for the son of man comes in an hour when you think not. So this idea of watching is vigilance. Um, you know, uh, blessed are the servants whom the Lord, when he comes, finds them watching. What are we watching? 
Um, are you supposed to just look at the sky and hope the Lord comes back? Is that what it means to watch? No. Does anybody know? What are we supposed to be watching as it relates to the coming of the Lord? Signs of the times. We read that in uh, 1 Thessalonians. Um, it tells us about the signs. Of the he says, you're not, not, not ignorant, Christians, concerning the, the day, the time of the Lord's coming, because, you know, the signs and the seasons. You'll know the times and the seasons. Why? Because you're watching what's going on. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 says, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. That's exactly what Jesus said right here. Um, nobody sits around their house knowing a thief's coming and is just gonna go to bed and forget about it. Um, we're supposed to be watching. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says the same thing about watching. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. The son of, of man, verse 40, comes in an hour when you think not. By the way, um, one thing I might add to this, because um, there's different views on the order of the way the uh, end times are gonna roll out, eschatology. Um, we've done whole things on pre-trib, post-trib, pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial, um, uh, preterism, uh, even recently. You can look all that stuff up. We've done whole teachings on the different views of what people think. My personal opinion, uh, and, and again, as, as some people on YouTube will say, this is an essential doctrine. If you believe in the rapture, you're from Satan. And you've, you know, this, like there's people that are just kind of crazy on this. So don't listen to that. I, I believe we can all disagree on the way the end times are gonna roll out. If you're a preterist, I love you. And when we're raptured, you'll just change your notes on your way up if there's time. Um, uh, but, but, and, and I have good preterist friends and they don't call me a heretic, um, but there are people online that are suddenly becoming very belligerent on the issue of eschatology and they shouldn't. Um, this is one of the uh, things we can talk about. It's an in-house debate in the church and it should be. Don't let people act like it's some essential doctrine that you've lost your salvation if you're a pre-tribber or whatever, or a preterist or an amillennialist. Um, I'm not saying it's not an important topic, it is important. And there are some dangerous things. Like, like if you have an end times view that said God is done with the Jews um, and he doesn't care about the Jews anymore, that's a dangerous part of your eschatology that I would say be careful with that one because uh, there's actually judgment set aside for how people treat the Jews. So there are important issues, but that's important. Now, now here's the thing. The pre-trib rapture view is the only one where you can say nobody really knows the day or the hour. If you're a post-tribber and you believe the rapture is gonna happen after the tribulation period, um, guess what? You can name the day or an hour. And the reason why is the Bible's very specific about the seven-year period called the tribulation. In the middle, there's an event, called a, a, a one-day event, the abomination of desolation. Jesus talked about it. Daniel talked about it. And it's gonna be exactly one halfway through the seven-year period called the tribulation period, 1,260 days. And the Bible even says that, days. It doesn't just say three and a half years, it does that too, but it even nails it down in a few of the passages about the actual days. Um, so um, that, that, that will tell you the, the end of the tribulation period is gonna happen 1,260 days from the time of the abomination of desolation. You start knowing days and hours if you believe the rapture happens um, you know, after all that stuff. If you're not a Christian, um, you know, and all, the, all of a sudden all the Christians are gone, you come to Aether Creek and there's like, hopefully nobody here. Um, <laughs> um, either we canceled the service or you've been left behind, um, uh, which God forbid, you know. Um, uh, if you're here during the tribulation period and you're listening to this teaching and our website still happens to be up, 
Um, I would say, keep your eye on Jerusalem. A world leader's gonna come. He's called the Antichrist in the Bible, but he's not gonna be called that in the world. He's gonna be some great leader and he's gonna require everybody to take a mark. And if you take that mark, you're doomed for eternity. Uh, you don't wanna do that. You need to turn to Jesus Christ. It will cost you your life, but it'd be better to die in the tribulation on this earth than have eternity in heaven with God who loves you than to live this life and, and do all these horrible things. It's gonna be a horrible time. Better than that, except Christ today, uh, before the tribulation period and be raptured up with the Lord, with the church. Uh, it's gonna be great. So, you know, um, what we're watching for is um, Jesus is the rapture of the church. He's gonna appear in the clouds. We're gonna meet him in the air, the Bible says. So as a pre-tribber, what am I looking for? Jesus. If you're a post-tribber, you have to look for the Antichrist. You have to look for the abomination of desolation, a temple to be rebuilt. You're not looking for Jesus. You're looking for a bunch of other stuff to have to happen before Jesus can rapture his church. If you're a preterist or an amillennialist, it's even worse because you have to hope that the kingdom is ushered in by human efforts before the second coming of Christ. You, you better hope we better elect Christian officials and we better bring righteousness into the, into the world. And when things start getting better and better and we prepare the way for Jesus' coming, because that's kind of what, it's called kingdom now. It's where we're, we're gonna usher in the kingdom uh, ourselves. Uh, would you be encouraged today? Do you feel like the coming of the Lord is near because we've got the world squared away? Things are getting better. There's actually preachers here in Oregon, even a few years ago, was trying to say, see, things are getting better. And he tried to preach that sermon. I, I'm surprised he could do it with a straight face because things are getting a lot worse as it turns out. Um, but anyway, so carelessness, watch out, take care by waiting, number one, by watching, number two, and then also by working. Um, verses 41 through 48. It says this, um, we better hurry. Uh, it says in verse 41, then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And the Lord said, who then that is faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth, I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to, um, pardon me, uh, my delays his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maid servants to eat and drink, to be drunk. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him and an hour when he is not aware and will cut him asunder. In, and um, will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit such things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him, they will ask the more. <clears throat> so here we see stewardship, busy about serving the Lord. What are we supposed to be doing until Christ comes? S serving the, the Lord and, and not ushering in the kingdom, but living for the kingdom that's to come, praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Um, how do we do that? Sharing Christ, preach the gospel, praying, seeking the Lord, worshiping Jesus, being in the word, um, being plugged into church, um, you know, we don't want to be in the camp of someone who's like, ah, the Lord can't come back today. We're just going to party down and get drunk. Oh, he'll come someday. You don't want to be in that camp because it's in an hour when you think not. 
to whom much is given, much will be required. This is what the Bible teaches. Um, uh, so the rapture of the church, um, if the rapture of the church happened today, um, to whom much is given, much is required. If you had knowledge of Jesus, what did you do with it? Did you accept Christ and did you, did you get saved? Um, or that you might say the opposite is true. To whom little is given, little will be required. Um, even as creation shouts his glory, I told you about earlier, I think some people are gonna be saved even if they weren't given a lot to know about Jesus. What about the pygmies? Um, that'll be up to the Lord. The pygmies in the jungles of uh, Papua New Guinea, um, how much they were given, that's how much will be required from them. So I trust the Lord knows what's right on that one. Okay, so carelessness, uh, taken care of by waiting, watching, working, and then also warring. What kind of warring? Verse 49, we're almost done. I, um, I am come to send fire on earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Now here we have a, a quick, quick version of this. Some people think he's talking, Jesus is talking about the fire of Pentecost that's coming. Others think it's the baptism of the cross that he's talking about. Also with that, verse 51, suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you no, but rather division. Wait a minute, I thought it was peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's Christmas time, Merry Christmas. And Jesus just said no. What is he talking about? This, I, I didn't come to actually bring peace, but division. He, he clarifies this as he keeps going in verse 52. From henceforth, there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Does this sound like Thanksgiving? <laughs> um, show of hands, how many of you, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that act not only saved you and you get to go to heaven, but it also divided your family members from you. Raise your hands. Look at that, that's a lot of people. Ton of people. Jesus was right. That's what he's saying. If you follow Jesus and accept Christ, don't be shocked when your family rejects you because of that. So stay strong in your faith is the idea here. Um, and that brings us to the very last section, uh, uh, a warning, beware of being spiritually dull. Verse 54. And, and he said unto the people, when you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway you say, there cometh a shower. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be heat and it comes to pass. In other words, you can discern the weather to some degree. I think maybe better then than we do now with our Doppler radar and stuff. But anyway, verse 56, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you cannot discern this time? What time? The time where Jesus is standing right in front of them. Um, yea, verse 57, why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? Um, when thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and the officer cast thee in the prison. I tell thee that thou not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last might. If you're headed to the judge and you're about to be condemned, um, better to pay your debt and figure it out on your way with your adversary um, than to actually be judged and then not be able to pay. And how do you pay out of your debt when you're in prison? You don't. That's why he says you'll, you'll, you won't be able to leave prison. You'll be there for all eternity is kind of the idea. 
Um, you should have seen what's going on around you, Jesus is saying. Um, um, and you know that you were headed, you owed, owed a debt, you, you, you owed a debt, um, but you weren't able to pay it. So work it out before you go to the judge. In other words, you're a debtor right now, you're a sinner and you're headed for eternal, eternal hell. It'd be better for you to work it out and say, I need a way out and Jesus is the way. He's pay, he paid your debt. And it, work that out before you stand before the judge is kind of the idea. So be ready. Um, that's the idea, accepting the work that Jesus paid for us. That's a quick run through of Luke chapter 12. We did a blitz through it. You can study it deeper uh, if you have time, please do. It's, there's so much here. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word on these things and just the good reminders here, Lord. I pray that you would um, help us to, to watch out for the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, um, the covetousness and the greediness. Lord, these warnings about worry and also about um, carelessness and, and not being ready for when, to, when you come, to be watching. May Athe Creekers and Christians, may we be more aware of the times we're living, keeping our eyes on you, Lord, not on uh, just the evil things of this world, but keeping our eyes on you. Um, you're the author and the perfecter, so we look to you, Lord. Bless these, your people who've carved out this time on this Wednesday night. May it bring forth good fruit in Jesus' name. Amen.